You're listening to the Lead On Podcast, where we discuss experiences in the armed forces while exploring lessons from military leaders. Hey, good morning. I'm David Deary with the Enlisted Leadership Foundation. Welcome to Lead On Lessons from Military Leaders, our podcast that drops military paydays, first and the 15th. Joining me today is an Air Force veteran, Jack Gouge. Jack, good morning. How are you today? Doing great. How about yourself, David? Uh, doing great here in Southern California where we had rain the other day, something that's sort of like a blue moon. We don't get it very often, unless we do. Uh, sometimes we'll get weeks and weeks of it, but this year, just a couple of small days. So, Jack, I want to thank you. Thank you for your service. Thanks for giving us a few minutes of your time. The, uh, only the second uh, person from the Air Force that's joined us on in podcast land. And uh, before we get going, uh, since we are a leadership-based podcast, and we're going to talk about uh, your favorite, if you will, leadership topic here in a few moments, um, I like to just ask, you know, we've been given, we give leadership advice all the time as leaders, um, but people often will wonder, well, what, what advice was were you ever given? Um, have you ever been given like bad leadership advice? And what's the worst piece of leadership advice, advice that you are ever given? Yeah, I sure have. And, and thanks again for having me, David. You know, I, I think the worst leadership advice I've ever gotten uh, is the old adage that I'm sure you've heard. And that's if you want something done right, do it yourself. And uh, you know, as I've learned uh, you know, through my experiences uh, in, in the military and, and, and otherwise, I've really reflected this is horrible leadership advice. Uh, and, and what I've, I've actually learned is that as, as a leader, it's, it's not really about what you can do, uh, but it's really all about what you can inspire, enable, and in some cases, just get the heck out of the way and let other people do. And what that requires, I think, is really is just humility and, and uh, respecting and, and valuing the, uh, the capabilities of the people that you lead. Yeah, it's, it, it's so true. And you often read, there's a lot of you know definitions out there about leadership or what leadership is, but uh, somewhere in those definitions is usually influence and motivating or inspiring people, influencing them to accomplish a common goal. Uh, yeah, and humility, such an important trait or, or quality of a leader. Uh, so you, you spent eight years in, in service of our country in the United States Air Force graduating as an Aggie from Texas A&M, going through the uh, ROTC there. And uh, if you can, you know, yeah, there you go. You got the ring. Um, you got the ring. I got a certificate from a completion of a course I took. Um, no ring, though. Um, but I'm still young. Who knows? It may, maybe one day. So, That's right. uh, hey, so, so what'd you do in the Air Force for, for those eight years? Yeah, I've spent uh, eight years as a, a special tactics officer. Uh, and so for, for those who don't know, Air Force has a pretty small but growing branch of special operations called special tactics. Uh, I think recently rebranded to special warfare. Uh, credit to our uh, Navy brothers for the inspiration there. Uh, but uh, in, the, in special tactics, really specialize in air to ground integration, uh, primarily in the form of airstrikes, uh, airfields. Uh, it, brief caveat, you know, as we're discussing some anecdotes, uh, specifically in my military career, there are probably some details that I won't be able to elaborate on, but uh, we'll navigate that a, a, as we go through. Yeah, absolutely. We, we don't want any national security secrets. Uh, although I had a, a very high level clearance uh, the day after I retired, I dropped down to cleared for rumors. So, you, uh, you and me yeah, both. yeah, exactly. So, uh, 
Listen, so it's appreciate that, that, you know, caveat and, and we don't even really, you know, the stories will be on you. So I'm not going to dive deep into ask for details, but, you know, touching upon that, that humility uh, topic. So uh, as a leader in, in the Air Force, small or large teams, um, it, I do, I do kind of just think it's kind of um, ironic in the military, uh, as you experience in the Air Force, we can get some young troopers, you know, in our early 20s, leading dozens of people. And uh, I come out and I transition and I, I, I join the civilian workforce and I can get people in their 40s excited to, uh, to be, have a direct report and they have six people under them. And, th and that's a big that's a big deal. Uh, so uh, how does humility play into how you lead today? What did you learn? In other words, what leadership or, or specifically humility that, that how did you grasp on that topic in the Air Force and how have you been able to translate that or see that or do you not see it with what you do as a civilian? Yeah, great question, uh, David. And so let me kind of back up in my life a little bit to, to unpack that a little bit. And so the topic of humility is something that's been, you know, really learned over a lifetime of humbling experiences for me. So as a young man, yeah, often I think I felt like I was the smartest person in, in a lot of rooms that I walked into, which is totally debatable, right? Uh, but in, in uh, retrospect and reflection, Thing in often cases, I was just in the wrong room with the wrong people. Uh, and kind of as I matured in life, I started seeking other rooms uh, to, to put myself in, which as a sidebar is it's kind of ironic because in special tactics, uh, you know, I, I came, became familiar with a, a saying, and that is, if you're the baddest guy in a room, you need to walk into a different room. Uh, and and th that was something that I definitely related to. And so, you know, later in college, as I uh, identified I wanted to go into the Air Force and, and try out to be a special tactics officer, it required a, a pretty rigorous selection and assessment process. And the first time I ever tried out to, to get invited into this job, I failed the PT test on the first time I went to selection uh, and had to go go home with my tail between my legs and, and really uh, spend some time training uh, and coming back to, to the second time to ultimately uh, get assessed and get selected to come back into the career field. So early in life, I think there were some uh, transformational experiences that uh, took me uh, to a place of, of humility and, and really uh, valuing the opportunity uh, in the environment that I had uh, the privilege to, to operate in. So as I came into the, to the Air Force, uh, into special tactics, I found myself uh, in a career field where I just had to try my hardest every day just to be mediocre. I mean, surrounded by some of some of the most uh, exceptional uh, human beings uh, in, in the military and, and on the planet. Uh, and, you know, by nature of, of the way that the special tactics uh, assessment and selection process worked, I actually went through the entire two year training pipeline right alongside of these guys. So I had the same training, had the same knowledge, um, but really that they didn't need a guy who knew how to do it all, uh, who could be side by side, you know, at the front of the pack with them. What these high performers really needed was enablement and to just get out of the way. Um, so, you know, as a, as a quick anecdote, you know, to kind of elaborate on this, very first deployment to uh, Afghanistan, uh, I'm, a, I'm a young lieutenant and we're running a, an airfield uh, in support of, of a combat operation. Uh, and uh, our job is to facilitate um, the, you know, the movement of 
of uh, personnel, potentially casualties, and the worst case scenario is realized we have a, a casualty uh, in the operation. Now, in that moment of, of crisis, everything is focused on this airfield we're at to facilitate getting this casualty via helicopter to the airfield, transloaded onto the back of, uh, of a uh, C-130 uh, into that higher level medical care uh, within a critical 60 minutes. In that moment, I had three radios, higher headquarters talking to me wanting to know what's going on inbound helicopter passing an update on the casualty and the c-130 and medical crew ready to receive this and i'm sitting there with a helmet fire with three radios trying to talk all three while all my guys were standing around me saying hey what do you want us to do like how, how can we help and i very easily in that moment could have handed off one of those radios uh, and, and asked for help and leveraged some of the talent I had around me. But I didn't. I, I got this, guys, and I had it. And in, in retrospect, really could have shaved some critical minutes uh, off of uh, the transfer of that casualty uh, had I simply leveraged the people around me. So that was that was you know one key learning experience from my military career. Yeah, you know, and and, and it's funny you, you commented about exceptional humans. You know, and what a what a humble statement because you you yourself, if you went through the two years of training and you guys all came together and bonded as a team, well, you're an exceptional person too to be included in that. But yet you you take the focus off of you, which is what a humble leader will often often do. You know, and and, and I read recently that um, you know humble leaders tend to be, and I experienced this. Let me back up real quickly. So one of our leadership classes with the Enlisted Leadership Foundation, we call Foundry. You know, a foundry is a thing that shapes, you know, you melt down mold, metal and you form it and shape it. And that's kind of what it is, is we we want you to come to the foundry and we want to melt down your perception of leadership, oftentimes as a positional leader, because we do a great job in the military of teaching us how to be positional leaders. But then we want to form you into a relational leader. And what we have found after almost 18, we, we have our 18th class uh, next month. And... But what we found is, is a vast majority, over 50% of our students that attend this class, they're introverted, quiet, humble leaders. They're not overly charismatic. And what I, and I don't know if this, you experienced this in the, in the Air Force, I certainly experienced it in the, in the Navy. It guilty, guilty of it, of, of gravitating to, towards those charismatic, boisterous, out in front, and assuming that they are the most competent of leaders without without assessing and looking at any kind of track record of performance and success to measure just the fact that, wow, they're always volunteering, they're always out there, uh, man, just who people want to gravitate towards. And what I've learned and I've read as well is humble leaders tend to be reserved and quiet with some of the most competent as well as the best when it comes to building teams. And the number one reason, and you alluded to it with that example, is humble leaders are willing to listen to and accept feedback and advice. Um, so as you reflected on having those three radios, um, did somebody comment after the fact, you know, hey, hey, Lieutenant, you could have let me help, or does that, Something because we do that right in the military. We always assess the situation after the fact. Let's go in and and, and you know you know see what we could have done better. Or did you just kind of figure this out? 
No, there was definitely uh, some feedback uh, <laughs> from my team, and it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't as soft or, or as polite as, as you just put it. So uh, yeah, we uh, we debriefed after the fact, and, uh, and my guys definitely put it to me. Um, okay. But you know, one of the one of the great things I think about, um, and I think this is really unique to the military, is the uh, enlisted officer dynamic. And, and it, it's really easy as a charismatic young lieutenant to fall in that trap that, that you just described. But there's this awesome uh, setup in the military where you have a senior enlisted advisor right next to you uh, in, in any command position advising you uh, with all the experience and all the knowledge uh, to, to make the right decisions. And it doesn't require that you have to be the guy with, with, all, the, with all the answers. Uh, and, or the guy out front with all three radios uh, uh, solving the problem by yourself. So, you know, that dynamic that you're describing there, especially the enlisted officer dynamic, is something I, I really benefited from in my time in the military. And, you know, funny, a funny sidebar, David, um, you know, my very first combat operation uh, that, that I ever went on uh, in the military, I was... Uh, I was driving down the flight line. One, one of my uh, my NCOs, uh, was a, who was a mentor to me, was was driving me down the flight line to to go to the compound. This Army Special Forces team that I was supporting about to go out on mission with. Hey, sir, are you ready? You know, you excited? Yeah, I'm pumped. This is great. I'm super excited about it. First combat operation. Like, okay, cool. You know, you, you know all your stuff. You, you have everything you need. You got everything. Yep, I got everything. I'm ready to go. And he, he looks over over at me and looks down and says. Hey, where's your rifle? <laughs> I said, that's a great question. Can we turn around uh, and, and head back to our, our combat real quick? I think I forgot something, uh, but you know, definitely benefited from uh, from having that uh, having that uh, enlisted advice in that in that cir circumstance. You know, and and you know, in the Navy, um, when we promote from E6 to E7, from first class petty officer to chief petty officer, and, and the Coast Guard also does this, but it's a it's a significant promotion, unlike any other other branch of the military. And when I made chief back in you know, last century, uh, they said the number one rule that they gave us four rules, but the number one rule of the chief was to train your division officer, which you know O1s O2s. And in fact, I would, no offense to those that may be listening to this, but as a command master chief. I would tell people that my division officer is my executive officer. Um, although I'm the, 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 you know, the command master chief or, uh, or command chief, we're the advisors to the commanding officer. But, you know, I'm always training that executive officer, hopefully in such a way that that individual is listened to their senior listed leader when the time comes. Uh, but I had a young one as a young chief petty officer. Here I am. Okay, I got this charge to train division officers. I'm going to take take care of my divo. And this guy would not listen to me. Um, I would ask to go with him to, when he, we needed to talk to the captain. And he'd know, I got this. And I would try to tell him, okay, well, make sure you talk. This is how you are. And, and eventually, the captain got so mad at this guy. He said, you're not allowed to come to me anymore without your chief. Um, and, and I would even say that in my limited experience as a civilian, um, I think that is a quality in a chain of command that I think civilian organizations could really benefit from. Because, you know, going back to humble leaders, um, if they're unwilling to accept feedback or they have a culture uh, at an organization that nobody can pull the CEO aside or the boss and say, hey, um, 
This is what I hear in the deck plates. This is what you may be transmitting, but this is what's being received. And and now we're not we're we're talking in the military. We're talking lives, but in civilians, it's lives and dollars and things like that. Um, you know, I don't know. Do you, you as a civilian and, and working in, in industry, do you do you experience this, or do you do you see you know, positional leaders just like we did at the military? It's like, yeah, that, you know, we'll say, oh, this person last. See if they get promoted out of their position. Yeah, you bet. Um, and so, yeah, after the military uh, transition to you know, a small tech company called Amazon.com that I, I work at currently, and I'm I'm a technical program manager on the on the team that releases the Amazon mobile shopping app. Oh, um, I was on it yesterday. Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah thank you for uh, thank you for your business. Yeah. Um, but you know, I've definitely seen this in uh, in the private sector as well. And up to this point, you know, I think a, a lot of this we've talked about from uh, a stance of, at least speaking personally, a lot of times leaders can be arrogant, right? To think that we have, that we know everything and we're the right guy. But I think there's also another trap that leaders can fall into that's not necessarily also rooted in arrogance. And, and it's the fact that as leaders, oftentimes we have a natural proclivity to feel like we need to have all the answers. Like as, as the positional leader, people are looking to us for guidance and we need to, and we need to know everything and be able to, to have the answer. And I've really learned this, uh, you know, you know, I learned it in the, in the military through humility. And I've also learned it, uh, at Amazon through my experience that this is a total fallacy. Um, and, and that really you can, you can do so much more as a leader when you recognize the strengths. Uh, the knowledge and the skills uh, of the people around you and the people that are advising you and people that are pulling you aside and pair them with the right problem uh, to, to get things done. And in my job at Amazon, um, releasing one of the largest shopping apps uh, on the planet, I literally would not be capable uh, of accomplishing this, this task on my own, just the sheer magnitude and scale of it. In fact, nobody would. But but beyond that, I don't even come close to having the knowledge and skill sets necessary to, to do it. So when I first joined uh, Amazon, I, I joined a team focused on uh, cyber threat intelligence, so cybersecurity. Uh, and the first meeting I walked into, um, and, and people started discussing you know the, the topics at hand, hearing terms like cross-site scripting and SQL injection and DNS spoofing. I mean, my notebook had so many question marks in my notes written down. It was it was embarrassing. I literally had I was a, a true fish out of water uh, in this environment, and so you know I bring that up because what it has forced me uh, to do uh, as a leader uh, and, and a manager uh, of programs and projects and uh, in, in people is to not rely on my own wit and critical thinking ability to get things done, but really lean on the people around me and, and capitalize on their skills and abilities um, to, to get things done. And I think that's when you really unlock uh, the most potential as a leader, uh, it, when it's not just about you, but it's about all the people around you. You know, we, we read and hear a lot about authenticism today. And people can tell if you're not being authentic, if you're just being witty and you're insecure and you're trying to fake it till you make it. People see through that. And when you're the leader, um, part of a team, that, that that's disruptive to the team and they will put you on the outside. You know, John Maxwell actually has a book, Leaders Ask Good Questions. Um, it's they really, is there stupid questions? Yes. But I'd rather ask a stupid question 
uh, and be the only person in the room that doesn't know something, then look stupid, you know, because I didn't ask the question, and that reflects negatively on the on the whole team. Yeah, um, you and me both, right? You know, it's a uh, <clears throat> the, the the whole humility aspect of leadership, putting others first, taking in feedback, uh, getting to know you. You talked about getting to know your team so that when you're positioning people in the right spot. I, I remember uh, on a ship one time and in my leading petty officer, which is an E6, and we had about a dozen people and we, he was assigning people to ter- different responsibilities. And, and he was putting this one person um, in, in charge of people, which was the wrong person. I said, no, wait, and, and, and you know, you, you want to let people, what I love about the military is we're always in a training environment, right? 95% of what we do is training. And, and we train so much so that those last 5% when we have to execute real, it's just ingrained and it just happens. And uh, and he was trying to assign this one person this job. And, and I'm like, no, you, you can't put that guy there. He said, well, that, that's the bill he's assigned for. That's why he has to be here. I said, the thing is, you're going to set him up for failure and everybody else. He is a great individual that can do your administrative, keeping all your files. He does not lead people. He leads himself. He can do really well with admin skills. He's not a people person. You see it in his countenance. His self-confidence disappears. He just doesn't have it. And and I ultimately had to order the first class to like, you're not going to put him there. Let's move on. And later he came back and said, you were right. You know, the guy thrived in this position. So, you know, but without building the relationship with people to understand what their strengths and weaknesses are, to build some trust, because if, if you don't build relationships, they won't trust you. Um, then you won't be able to learn this stuff. So, and part of that is humility as a, as a, as a leader is humble yourself to be transparent so that people will trans- be transparent back. Well, Jack, um, I really appreciate this conversation with you today. We're just about out of time. Um, but in closing, um, I open things up with a, a piece of leadership advice, the worst piece. Let me just ask you, is there any, uh, do you ever make a leadership decision that, man, you're lucky you, you dodged a bullet other than forgetting your weapon. That's one. Uh, <laughs> but, but that's, you know, but did you ever, you know, whether it's a, as military or civilian, uh, gave a bad piece of leadership, uh, advice yourself to somebody, but you guys ended up, it turned out. Okay. Yeah, David, too many to count. Uh, but, but one stands out and, you know, this, this is probably one of those anecdotes where as promised, I, I might, uh, I might omit a few details, right? But it doesn't change the, the impact of the story. So some years ago, I, I was uh, leading a reconnaissance operation in a country uh, and our mission was to go in uh, and uh, scout out this airfield to use in, in a uh, upcoming hostage rescue. So we had done our due diligence uh, in advance of this operation to coordinate uh, with the um, you know, some of our local liaisons, uh, get an idea of who was there. We were told no one's at this airfield. So we're expecting to go in the middle of the night, land in helicopters, go in, do our assessment uh, and, and leave. So as we're flying in uh, to, to do this reconnaissance operation, it, it comes to, to my attention as the leader of this operation, hey, there's people on this airfield. Uh, there's a lot and they're armed. Uh, <laughs> and, and so in that moment, uh, I made a judgment call. I said, based on the context of the situation, the context, the contacts that we've had, I think these are local nation uh, friendly military forces. We're going to go in anyways. Now, anybody who's who's ever you know gone in on military, you have 
very strict criteria on what's considered in this a cherry HLC. Hey, this many armed people, we're not going to go in. We're going to we're going to you know go back. We're going to reassess. This met that criteria, but I, <laughs> I made which was a bad decision. Hey, we're going to go in go in anyway. So we land. We go in. Uh, we we approach these uh, these people with with our interpreter, and. You know, lo and behold, turns out I was right. Judgment call was right. They were uh, local nation uh, military. Uh, no problem with us being there. Till their leader comes out, and he's not happy that that we showed up uh, unannounced. Uh, and we, you know, we exchanged words via interpreter. He steps away on the phone. About this time, we have a gunship overhead that says, "Hey, you have an armed convoy of technical vehicles a couple miles away uh, approaching." And if anyone doesn't know what a technical vehicle is, it's a Hilux pickup with a heavy machine gun mounted in the back. Hey, you got four or five of these uh, and a long convoy of vehicles heading your way. So we pull this leader back over, like, "Hey, what's going on?" And said, "Hey, you know, I contacted the local government agency uh, authority in, in his militia, and he's coming over here to to talk to you." Like, okay, we'll, we'll see how this, this plays out. So here we are standing on this airfield surrounded by all this heavy weaponry, uh, 50 plus uh, armed guys having it out with this, this uh, you know, local government uh, agency uh, chief who's also not happy that we're there, we're there. He steps away on the phone. Okay, and so, you know, as all this is going on, you know, I'm, I'm kind of mediating uh, this this conflict at this point. I said to my team, hey, get get the job done. I don't know how long we're going to be able to, to be here. And they're off working, uh, you know, doing their respective duties. And he comes back on the phone, hands the phone to our interpreter. And he kind of has this ghost-like look on his face. We're like, what's going on? Hey, I'm talking to the vice president of this country. Oh, no. <laughs> he, he says... Oh, my goodness, this is going south. Vice President Country says, hey, we're really glad you're here. Welcome. <laughs> hey, I've told my guys to secure the entire place. You stay as long as you want, uh, and we'll make sure that uh, you have no issues while you're there. Thank you so much. Let us know if you need anything. Oh, and wow. so the, the whole thing turned out positively, and, uh, and we accomplished uh, what we needed to. I turned around. Well, Jack, what does this have to do with anything about humility and enabling other people? The entire time I'm heads down, so to say, you know, uh, liaising and, and mediating this issue with, with, with the people there. And my team accomplished the mission, got the job done completely without me. And they had roadblocks and hiccups and challenges while they're doing it. They problem solved. They figured it out. I was completely unneeded other than just, just to be focused on this one problem. Uh, and you know, that really just ingrained, uh, in me that as a leader, David, again, it's, it's not about what you can do, uh, but what you can do to inspire and enable. And in this, uh, lucky, lucky circumstance, I just had to get out of the way and let my guys accomplish the mission. Uh, but Hey, going in there was a bad call, uh, but it worked out in the end. That's awesome, man. What a great story. Well, uh, you've been listening to Jack Gouge, Air Force uh, officer, did eight years in the Air Force, graduate of Texas A&M. Uh, Jack, once again, I want to thank you for giving us a few minutes of your time, talking to us about humility and, more importantly, service to our country. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, David. Once again, this has been the Enlisted Leadership Foundation's podcast. Lead on lessons from military leaders. I'm David Deary, president of the Enlisted Leadership Foundation. You can learn more about us and our leadership classes for enlisted military where we're building America's leaders. Visit our website, www.enlistedleadershipfoundation.org. 
See you next time on the 1st and the 15th of Military Paydays with the next edition of Lead On, Lessons from Military Leaders.